glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Daniel chapter 9, again, I'm going to point out a number of verses here. As I said last week, our focus was on the subject of confession. Of course, we looked at uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 28, verse I believe it's verse 13. Uh, who, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. First John chapter 1, 9. If we were looking at last week's message, we would focus on everything that Daniel says about himself and about his people. He says, unto us belongeth confusion of faces. We have sinned, we have iniquities, we've transgressed. But we, we dealt with that last week. And what you find in Daniel 9 is the outworking of last week's message. He confesses his sins. I mentioned last week there are three mighty men of God in the Old Testament that are perfect examples of what confession looks like. And it is Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel. It's very interesting. All three men have recorded confessions in the Bible. All three men were in captivity, meaning all three men fit the criteria of what Solomon prayed about, where we read tonight, 1 Kings 8. They were experiencing affliction and difficulty in their personal lives because of the sins of their people. And even as they would say, not just the sins of their people, their own sins. And so they acknowledge that. They acknowledge that what we're going through in Babylon, the fact that our temple has been torn down, the wall of our city has been torn down, we are in captivity, living in a land we would not rather live in. They said, we have that, and it is a direct consequence of our disobedience to God. All three of these confessions by Ezra and Nehemiah and Daniel, I find this interesting. I am not a... I'm not real big into people when I get into numerology in the Bible, but sometimes you do see things that catch a pattern and help you remember something. If you want Ezra's confession, you're going to find in Ezra chapter 9. If you want Nehemiah's confession, you're going to find it in Nehemiah 1, but you'll also find it in Nehemiah 9. And if you want Daniel's confession, you're going to find it in Daniel chapter 9. Helps me remember. You want to read about confession, these men go to chapter 9. So... I'm glad that helps me as I study my Bible. Uh, you say, what's the numeric significance of that? I don't know. It just helps me remember. I'm glad that that's the way the chapter divisions worked out. Amen? Uh, and so the fact is, you'll find those there. But I find it interesting, if we were to study any one of these three men, who of us would say, now there's a guy that needs to confess his sins? I mean, Daniel, yeah, he ought to confess his sins. That rat, he prayed and was persecuted for obeying God. You'll find that people that confess their sins to God and are honest about that. I heard, I heard a preacher explain the other day, the more you mature spiritually, the more troubled and sensitive you'll be about sin in your life. And I believe that. I believe that. The closer you get to the Lord, you read about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. He is close to the Lord. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And Isaiah didn't say, woe is Israel, woe is Judah. He said, woe is me. How many of us think Isaiah the prophet was a lowlife? I mean, look, these are men we would call heroes of the faith. And the way, here's what Paul said in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am. Now, was Paul still out persecuting Christians when he said that? Or was he being persecuted for the cause of Christ? And you'll find the closer you are to God, the less impressed you'll be with yourself. And the less impressed I'll be with myself, the more sin will grieve us it may seem minor. You'll find as you get closer to the Lord, things that bother you may not bother other people, but it ought to bother us. And I find all three of these men understood what confession is about. Confession is, in essence, being honest with the Lord, and honest meaning I accept what he says is truth, about who I am, 
and about who he is. So there's three key things I believe that Daniel points out. And we didn't try to make it three. There just seems to be three things in speaking of the name of the Lord as he confesses the name of the Lord or in essence confesses who the Lord is in his prayer. Daniel confesses who he is. I'm a sinner. I am under chastisement. My people under chastisement. We have done wrong. That's, that was his confession about himself and his people. But he also, three key verses. It's uh, verse 4, verse 7, verse 9. These verses are key in Daniel confessing who the Lord is. Now, he says repeatedly, the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. We'd say it this way. You're right. You're right. Let me, let me back up just a little bit before we get into the heart of this message. When we are when we are shown to have done something wrong, our natural reaction is to find fault with whatever source is showing us our wrong. That's our natural reaction, to find fault, to look for inconsistency. So why? If, if you want to come to me and say, you know, Pastor, you've been doing X, Y, and Z, and it's been bothering me, and you want to point out something, my natural reaction is going to look for an inconsistency in you so I can dismiss what you have to say. So that I can go on justifying myself. It's what the rich, or what the, the, the lawyer that came to the Lord Jesus and said, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what does the law say? And the lawyer said, keep the commandments. And, and uh, he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, this do and thou shalt have life. And the lawyer then finding the loophole says, well, who then is my neighbor? What he's saying is, I'm going to discredit what you just, you just told me I'm not keeping the law, but I don't want to accept that. So I'm going to find a fault with what you just said. And that's our nature. But when it comes down to it, when God is reproving us, he's never wrong. Whatever God has done in our lives, he's right. We hear the statement like this, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? That's one thing's. People often say, why do bad things happen to good people? And it's really a bad question. And we've dealt with this before, but bad things don't happen to good people. I don't know what's meant by that. Even God's people, people like Job who are just and upright. But you realize that was what was wrong with Job's thinking. I'm a good man. Why are these bad things happening to me when what God wanted him to see is, look, I'm God and and you're, I'm perfectly righteous, and you're not. And if I do something, I am God. I know what I'm doing. I'm right. And God's not an egotist sitting on his throne saying, I'm right no matter what. The fact is, he's right. <laughs> he never errs. He never missed a judgment call. And we need to understand that. And so then, let's see these three things in this text that Daniel confesses about the name of the Lord. And so... Uh, Daniel taking God at his word and it had been said if you pray toward this place and confess my name then I'll forgive you the Lord had promised to do that so verse 4 the Bible says this verse 3 again we read earlier and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my uh, confession and said O Lord the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Now, you notice something. Daniel uses three different names for God here. You say, wait, just two. He just uses Lord and God. But you'll notice the first one is capital L, lowercase O-R-D. 
Then he uses capital L, uppercase O-R-D. That's Jehovah, the self-existent God. That's God the Father, right? Then you had a little L-L-O-R-D, and that just means Lord, like ruler. Ruler, the one who rules over us. And then you have God, which has to do with the supreme authority. It's three different names for the same God. You know what Daniel's doing? He's confessing the triune God. He's confessing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is confessing a a number of things and calling God Lord, Lord, and God. He's Jehovah. That is the national name for God. He was the God of Israel. But Daniel called him the Lord my God, personal. And just by simply the title he gives him, the first thing I want you to see is in confessing the name of the Lord, Daniel is recognizing the Lord's power. The Lord's power. Something that we have a real difficulty with as Americans is the concept of authority. One of the reasons we have such confusion in our land is that there's been a a, a thread of rebellion taught and trained in our culture. And may I understand, I understand not having absolute trust in human authority. God doesn't call us to that. We're never to have absolute trust in human authority, but God is the supreme authority. Every ruler in this land is subject to the Lord God. Everyone, every every human authority is ultimately subject to God. And what Daniel understood is that the Lord is supreme in power and authority, meaning his word is final. What God says is so, and he deals with a couple of things. Look at verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord, that's Jehovah God, and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, now there's the lowercase one, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. What does he refer to God as? The great and dreadful God. I mean, is God really dreadful? I think he uses this differently than we use the word. We think of dreadful and you think of a, you know, some dreaded disease. That's not what it means. Dreadful has the idea with God is so great in power he is to be feared. He is to be respected. Um, let me ask you something, and I used this illustration a few weeks ago. If you're standing on a railroad track and you've got a train coming at you doing 70 miles an hour, that's dreadful. The idea that Daniel's saying is, we've been on the wrong side of you, Lord, and it is a bad thing. Hebrew says it this way. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrew says it this way. Our God is a consuming fire. Someone says, that sounds dreadful. It is. Meaning this, how you respond to God is going to determine what happens. The Bible says, he giveth grace to the humble. God giveth grace to the humble, but he what? He resisteth the proud. James chapter 4, verse 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. What Daniel is saying is, God, we resisted you. It's dreadful. You know what? America... And the individuals in this room that are part of it would be wise if we have not yet to wake and say, it is a dreadful thing to oppose God. I wish we could get every person in our country to step back and look at the things that are going on in our land, not just natural disasters, not just afflictions and viruses. That's all part of it. But have you ever read in God's word where it speaks of God's judgment and it likens it to a moth? God, God likens his judgment to a lion, but he also likens his judgment to being like a moth. And America has been just eaten up of God's judgment. And I don't think we realize it. I wish we could sit back and say, as we have defied the principles of the Bible, 
in our, in our, in our governance, in our homes, in our churches, in the society. Look at the skit. How much, how much hatred is in our land today? Is this not the product of disobeying God? May I say this? No nation, no nation is so powerful that you can resist God and survive it. No individual is so wise that you can resist God and survive it. If a person dies saying, I don't want God, I don't care what God says, I don't care what His Word... I'm going to tell you something. It's a rude awakening on the other side when you enter into eternity. Amen? Revelation 21.8 deals with that. And so Daniel says, I recognize, Lord, you're the great and dreadful God, meaning you have all power. You Look, the God who created the universe... I tell you what, if you ever want to study the power of God, watch the power of rushing water. What can water do when you have thousands upon thousands, millions of gallons of water rushing? Don't get in its way. That gives you a slight understanding of what it's like. Is water a good thing? Can we survive without water? But if you get in front of a flood, it will destroy you. It's dreadful. You and I do not want to be on the wrong side of God. This is something that's emphasized not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. He is the great and the dreadful God. All power belongs unto God. God spoke and the world came into existence. When God says it's going to come to an end, He is God. And so when Daniel prays in Daniel chapter 9 verse 4 and he's confessing the name of the Lord, the Lord his God, what he's saying is, You are in absolute control. Man can defy you. Man can try to subvert you. Man can try to go around you. But when it's all said and done, you're going to have the final word. You're Lord. God is still the ruler of this universe. How many of us understand this? Satan cannot do anything that God does not give him permission. As powerful as Satan is, you and I are no match for him. No, he has to to have the Lord's permission to even touch a life. We find that in the book of Job. And so what Daniel's saying is, and here's what we understand, in confessing the name of the Lord, when you and I pray, we need to remember who the Lord is. Jesus taught us this as his disciples. He says, when you pray, pray this, our Father, you know what a Father is? He's an authority. He's the authority in the home. He's the authority over the children. But we're not just talking about a human father who can err and and be foolish. No, our Father which art in heaven. That word Father means he is the originator of all things. The breath in our lungs tonight is at God's command. I cannot live one day past my got my lot of time. Hezekiah, God said, you're going to die. And then Hezekiah wept and God says, okay, 15 more years. But let's remember, who told him so? God. Our lives are in the Lord's hand. We must remember that tonight. That, and that's what Daniel remembered. As he is sitting, if anybody would have a reason to think, where's God? Wouldn't Daniel? Daniel could look at his circumstances and think, look, I pray three times a day. Morning and noon and night, I open my windows toward Jerusalem. Lord, I have taken a stand for you. I have suffered for you. Why am I suffering? I'm doing right. Couldn't Daniel thought that? I mean, if somebody's going to get thrown in a lion's den, why me? Why am I getting picked on? Lord, I was, I had my heart to set you. Uh, I purposed in my heart not to defile myself. You realize Daniel lived for God since he was a teenager? And he could say, why is God allowing this to happen to me? But instead he says, I know exactly why. Me and my people disobeyed you. And God, this is exactly what you said you would do. And I deserve it. Lamentations says it this way. I believe it's Lamentations. Wherefore doth the, it's Lamentations chapter 3. Wherefore doth the 
a man, a man complain, a man for the punishment of his sin. Why do men complain about receiving the natural consequences and outcomes of our sins? I don't deserve this. You know, this, is, this is repentance in a nutshell. What Daniel's saying is, Lord, you're, you're the authority. You have all authority and you have all ability. When he says, Thou art the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. What he's reminded of is, Lord, you have power to keep your own word. You have all authority and you have all power. You have the power to make a covenant and you have the power to keep it. And as Daniel confesses the name of the Lord, even so with us, when we confess the name of the Lord, we are confessing, you are my authority. It is your right to govern my life. And you're right in how you govern it. That brings us to our next point. So verse 4, when he confesses the name of the Lord, he's confessing the power of the Lord. And by that I mean his authority and his ability. Number 2 in verse 7, he's confessing the purity of the Lord. How many of you think we should give another human being this kind of power? The power to rule the entire universe. Men strive for that, don't they? Now, we've heard that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and I believe that statement's absolutely so. Man has to be. You know why we have a, a limited power in human government in the United States of America? Because of the history of the world, watching what happens when men get too much power. Because men are sinful, when we get power, what do we do with it? We oppress. We oppress other men. We decide to use our will to overthrow the will of others. You realize God has the power to overthrow his will, but because he's righteous, he will not. God has given certain principles. He's going to hold to them, and he says, this is what I'll do if you respond to me by faith. This is what I'll do if you respond to me by unbelief. Now it's your choice. God is the perfect governor. He's the perfect king because he has all power, but his power coupled with his purity makes him holy. The difference between him and us. Look at verse 7, Daniel confessing the name of the Lord. He says, O Lord. So he's already said, Thou art the great and the dreadful God. That deals with God's power. Then verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. But unto us, confusion of faces. As at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. He says in this verse, Lord, you've driven us out of our home country into all these lands and you're absolutely right in doing it. When bad things happen to us, and especially if we knew God caused them to happen, so if I knew that God intentionally took my health, I might say, no fair. I wanted to serve you. I wanted to work for you. May I say this? Daniel understood something. When God does something, he's righteous. God doesn't do things to prove that he's in power. He uses his power to reveal his righteousness. Look with me if you would at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Daniel says Dan- to the Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. When you and I pray and talk to God, we need to talk to him the same way. We don't need to go to God assuming, now, Lord, you know I'm doing what's right, so I expect you to answer my prayers and do what I want. We should say, I know the Lord's going to do what's right, and so however he answers my prayer, I know will be right. Meaning we don't go to God in prayer confident in ourselves. We go to prayer confident in him to do the right thing. It was touched on this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 32, one of my favorite verses in the Word of God. I love Deuteronomy. 
chapter 32, verse 4, because it speaks of the unchanging character of our God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. He is the rock. Now, let's think about that for just a moment. That's capitalized, so it's another name for God. What is a rock? Solid, stable, unmovable. And you can go bang your head against a rock, and it's not going to change the rock. We're not talking about a little stone. We're talking about a rock. Upon this rock, Jesus said himself, I will build my church. God is a rock, meaning he, the winds blow, it doesn't move him. Doctrines change, he stays the same. Uh, people change, he stays the same. Culture changes, he stays the same. Uh, people change their morals, God doesn't change his. He's the rock. Winds blow, rains come, floods fall. It doesn't matter. The world has changed, but God is the same. So uh, he is the rock. His work is... Perfect. God never does anything halfway. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Do we realize God has never done anything haphazardly? Never. All his ways are judgment. Meaning God looks at the ways to deal with things and he weighs those and says this is what, this is the righteous response. This is the righteous way to deal with this person. This is the right way to deal with the United States of America. This is the right way to deal with Nevin's circumstances. This is the right way to deal with Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. And anytime we start questioning God's dealings in our life, we need an adjustment. We need to confess the name of the Lord. Say, Lord, you are the authority. You have all power. You have the right to govern because you're Lord and God. You created us. By the way, if he had the wisdom and the power to create us, he has the wisdom and the power to govern us. If he has the wisdom and the power and the meekness to come down to us and die for us and save us, he has the right to govern us. It is God's right to direct our lives. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we submit to that. That I have been wrong to sin against the God who made me to defy his will and way for my life. God, your ways are judgment. When God, look, when God created marriage and he created it to function like it does, do you realize he made a judgment? He said, I determine one man and one woman to be wed together is the right way. He didn't willy-nilly say, well, let's try it this way. If it doesn't work, we'll do something else. No, his ways are judgment. His ways are right and true. It's man that's veered from those. And what happens is we feel the consequences. We say, well, God must have made a mistake. No, he made no error. The error is on our part, not on his. So when Daniel says, righteousness belongeth unto thee, he's dealing with God's justice. Righteousness always deals with justice, meaning doing what is equitable. Let's put it to you this way. If a man broke into this building tonight and started shooting down people with a machine gun and uh, most of us died and two of us survived and they capture the man alive and they take him in and they say, well, you know, he, he had a difficult upbringing. So what we're going to do is we're going to, for as punishment, as punishment for this man who murdered in cold blood these people in church, what we're going to do for him is we're going to make him work at a grocery store for the next 13 months and memorize some Bible verses. Does that seem like an appropriate response to the crime? No, it's not. You see, God is a God of justice. God, he, he responds to sin. What we want to do is we, we, want to, we want God to treat our sin. Let me put it to this way. If I went to the doctor... And he did some blood testing. And he said, you know, you've got stage 4 cancer. Now, here's the treatment. I want you to go home and take a Tylenol every day. 
Is that an appropriate response to the problem? No. You have to get a lot more aggressive because the size of the problem should deal with the size of the solution. God says, here is my view of the problem of sin. And then go read about the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. That is God being just and the justifier. Here's how serious the sin of man is. One sinless man had to come and die a brutal death forsaken of God to deal with man's sin. We say, well, here's how bad sin is. Go through a little program. It'll fix you. And it takes the cross of Jesus Christ to fix you. And my point is this. Our thinking gets wrong about the purity of the Lord. God is just. He is not... He is not complicit with sin. He'll make right. That has to do with his judgments, his determinations about what is right and wrong in his dealings with us. And so then, the righteousness of the Lord. We need to remember, we need to remember in speaking to God, however he has dealt with us, he's right. We need to start our prayer life that way. If I'm disappointed with, with God not answering a request in prayer I've made, he did the right thing. He's just in all his ways. He's righteous. God sent Daniel and all his family members into captivity. And Daniel says, Lord, you were right. You were right. Let me put it this way. Every person who does not come to faith, personal faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, does not believe God concerning Jesus Christ, will one day be cast into the lake of fire. Now, is God cruel or is God right? What we say is, I can't believe in a God that would be that cruel We don't even think how vile is it to reject God who died for us. Instead of thinking man is wicked for rejecting Christ, we think God must be demented to send people to hell for rejecting Christ. No, we've got to realize we've got to justify God. God is right. And if it seems unjust of God to have a place called hell or the lake of fire one day, then we realize our sense of justice is out of kilter. God is righteous. And even with us as his children who have been saved, spared from the flames of hell. How many of us, our life doesn't go the way we want? How many of us, many times, something happens and we, we men get their hearts filled with bitterness because they say, God could have stopped this. God could have prevented this. But if he didn't, he's right. He's righteous in all his ways. That deals with his justice and his equity. Those two terms are inseparable. We didn't say equality, we said equity. Our world says they want equality. I dare say they don't. If we had equity, what the world says is equality is everyone gets the same outcome. Well, how come is that? Does everybody respond to God the same way? No. Communism says everyone should be guaranteed the same outcome. You know what they're charging God with? God is wrong. Does God give everybody the same outcome? He does not. He said, I resist the proud and give grace to the humble. They get two different responses from God. Communism says, no, everybody gets the same outcome. So it doesn't matter if you steal from your neighbor, you should get whatever you want. If you work hard, you should get the same outcome. That's inequity. That's false. The lazy man should not get the same crop as the diligent man. Would you agree? And the man who rejects Jesus Christ will not get the same outcome as the one who receives him. And so God is equitable. Acts 10.34 on the positive side says God is no respecter of persons. Meaning those who will approach God in the fear of God and faith in Jesus Christ, God will save. Jew or Gentile, God's no respecter of persons. You approach God by faith in Jesus Christ, he said, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. God doesn't look at us and say, well, you were born into this kind of home and you were brought up that way and you've done this sin, this sin, this sin. I'm not willing to save you. 
utilize then over here he says well i am willing to save you 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 look like a good addition to my kingdom no you come to god on his terms he'll save you man woman boy girl black white doesn't matter it doesn't matter none of that matters whosoever will let him take the water of life freely Romans 2 verse 11 also says that God has no respect of persons and that has to do with his judgment. God's not going to look away and say, well, you're a nice person, but you rejected my son. You did not believe me concerning Jesus Christ, but you're a pretty good person. I'll pardon you anyway. No, God is no respecter of persons. God has a, 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 a law that we've all broken. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God has a way of forgiveness and that's faith in Jesus Christ. What Daniel says is, righteousness belongeth unto the Lord. And when we speak to God, we need to have that heart and that word toward the Lord. Lord, you're right today. You're good today. Whatever I'm dealing with, it's difficult for me. You're still good. You're still right. You've not erred. You know, I would answer a lot of our questions. See, here's what Daniel's saying is, the error, Lord, was on our part, not on yours. Some say today, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? That's a very good question to ponder, isn't it? If God is so good, why is the world so bad? And the answer is sin. Man disregarding the good God. How many of us would be sorry that we obeyed him in every way? None, because his ways are good. God's ways are good. I have Look, I have regrets in my life. Brother Bissett was talking this morning about 18 months of his life that's going to burn. I got a little more time than that. I'm confident. It's gone. Now, is God good? Yes. I'm the one that erred. I'm the one that said I'm not going to obey at this time. That's on me, not on him. And that's always the truth. And so to confess the name of the Lord is to confess his power, his authority and his ability, his purity, which is his justice and his equities. No respecter of persons. He doesn't like someone better than other. He deals with us all on his own righteousness and his own righteous principles. And then finally, of course, it deals with his immutability, which we read Immutability means he doesn't change. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So God's standard of righteousness doesn't shift. He's right, and the only way to approach him is by humble faith in him. And what Jesus Christ came to accomplish is to get us where Daniel's at. Jesus Christ came to preach and bring us to repentance, saying, Lord, you are right. You've not messed up the management of this world. You've not done anything wrong. If there's, if there's consequence in my life, that's me. It's the sin around me. Sin in the world is authored by Satan and promoted by men. But God is not an error. He's right. And so he deals with confessing the name of the Lord. He's confessing his power. That's his authority and his ability. His purity, his righteousness deals with his justice, his equity, and his immutability. He's unchanged, unlike ourselves. And then thirdly, that's not all he deals with, but the pity of the Lord. So in verse 4, he deals with God's power, the great and dreadful God. In verse 7, he deals with the Lord's purity. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. And he repeats that throughout his prayer. But in verses 9 and 10, he deals with the Lord's pity. When he says this, to the Lord our God, there's his name again, belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured out upon is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. You see, what God had said is, if you break my law, you die. Is that what God said? Then how many of us are going to die? All, because we've all broken His law. Here's what God is not saying. Well, 
And this, I think, is such a tremendous way to help us understand who the Lord is. God is a God of pity, but do you realize God dealt, the Bible deals with his purity before it deals with his pity here. The Lord is the judge. He is the authority. The Lord is pure. He's not going to change the rules for his favorite people. Right? Israel was his favored people, but he didn't change. He said, if you disobey me, I'll send you into captivity. They were in captivity. Why? Because God had erred or because they had erred? They had. And Daniel says, we don't deserve anything but what we're getting. But you're a God of mercy and forgiveness. Meaning, you are, though we deserve destruction, you are willing to pardon and put our sin away as though it was not committed. By the way, that's what forgiveness is. Putting away someone's sin as though it was not committed. That's why Jesus died. So that God could be just, meaning he is still righteous and just and will punish sin as he promised. But he can also be the justifier. He can be powerful and pure and pitiful. And I don't mean pitiful like we use it today. It means it's a Bible word, James chapter 5, that he's pitiful, meaning he has compassion on us. He looks at us and realizes, you have gotten yourself in a condition where I must judge you. But I'm willing to make a way to forgive you so that you don't have to be judged. Is that not what Calvary's cross reveals? What Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 9 is everything that God revealed through Jesus Christ when he died for our sins. And so in Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, To the Lord our God belong mercies. That is God withholding from us what we justly, duly deserve. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have... What's the word Daniel using? He says we. That's a personal... Uh, it's a personal plural pronoun. Though we have rebelled against him. Rebel means we have willfully disobeyed God. There are those who would teach, if you've willfully disobeyed God, you can't get forgiveness. Well, that's not what the Bible says. If you will repent and say, when I willfully disobeyed God, I was wrong because he's right then there's mercy with the Lord. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. But Daniel's saying, Lord, you are powerful. And Lord, you are pure. But I praise you that you're also filled with mercy. Meaning when I'll agree with you that you're right and I'm wrong and I deserve what I'm getting, but I desire your pardon, I'll get it. One of the things that I commend Jim and Jeff both for is we go out and witness and hear them dealing with people. And we get down to this, this question. It was asked today. Jim said he asked the woman this today. So if God today, you stood before him in the judgment, and he sent you to hell, would he be perfectly just and right to do that if he judged you based on the way you've lived your life? Now, I want you to think yourself for just a moment. I want you to think of every thought you've ever thought, every word you've ever spoken, every way you've ever treated another human being. How many of you have ever despised another person simply because they made you look foolish? Meaning you thought, I wish they weren't on planet Earth right now because you make me look like an idiot. Do you realize that's the equivalent of murder? Now, if God dealt with us according to our deeds, would he be entirely just if he sent us to hell? He would. If you've not believed that yet, listen to me now. If you've not believed that yet, you're still lost. Because the Bible says the Spirit of God came to reprove of sin, meaning I am guilty of disobeying God. I'm the one that's wrong. Of righteousness, Jesus has never been guilty of disobeying God. And he's perfectly right because he's God. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. How many believe that Satan deserves to go to hell? 
Now, do you realize we come to believe we deserve to as well based on the same reason we believe he deserves? Help me here tonight before we conclude. Why does Satan deserve to go to hell? What was that? He rebelled. Didn't Daniel say we deserve what we're getting for the same reason? So if I have ever willfully and intentionally disregarded a command of God, what do I deserve? I deserve hell. Then why don't I go? Well, I will unless I do one thing. Put my trust in the one who took what I deserve. Now let's think about it. Jesus Christ died on the cross. What did he do to deserve it? This is so simple. What did he do to deserve it? Not one thing. Then why did he take it? So we don't have to. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, still rebelling against God, deserving of hell just like Satan, Christ died, and what are the next two words? For us. God, in sending Christ, is all-powerful, 100% pure, but also ministering to us pity, mercy. I am willing to not give you what you deserve. If you'll do this, you get honest. Confess who you are, but you confess who I am. I remember this. I was, I was four years old when God saved me. I was thinking about this today. I don't ever ask a person a question. I, I can't answer myself. And I remember this as a four-year-old. I did not wonder, will I go to hell? I remember this is when I got saved. And I only know I was four. You had asked me, I'd say four, five, six. I was somewhere in there. A date was written down. I just take it. That must have been the date. I just know when it was. What happened is I became convinced, not, I didn't wonder. I thought, based upon what I am, I know I'm going to go to hell when I die. I knew it. Like, I, I just wondered when. And when I heard that Jesus Christ was willing to spare me that, though I knew, not, I knew I deserved it. And if you'd asked me to articulate that, I don't know how I would have articulated it. I just knew I was going because of who I was. When I realized Jesus would save me, and I called on him, you know the relief of my soul? Oh, he's willing to save me? And as a little child, it, was, it wasn't that hard having sat under the preaching of God's word. May I say tonight, and I didn't fully intend this to be a gospel message, but this is the heart of the gospel. And it's the heart of maintaining fellowship with God. As we walk with God after he saves us, listen to me, he's going to deal with us in ways we wouldn't choose. Whom the Lord loveth he, but he's always pure, even though he's all-powerful, and he's always filled with pity. His, the mercy of the Lord is everlasting. He's not forever patient. I didn't say that, but his mercy doesn't run out. God doesn't one day say, you know what, I'm just fed up. I'm sick and tired of people. Aren't you glad? And tonight God is a God that's ready to forgive if we'll come to him like Daniel did. Yes, confessing our sin but confessing his name. I believe that all this is all wrapped up, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. God in the flesh, sinless, perfect, holy, without one spot. And I am trusting him, not me. That's what Daniel says. Look in the final verses here. Daniel 7, 9, 17 to 19. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication and cause thy face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Now wait, wait just a minute. Had Daniel not just said, we have sinned and we deserve the judgment we're getting? Then where does he get the audacity to ask God to make his face to shine? Because he knows God is merciful. And he's relying upon God's character. Verse 18, O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear 
Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by, here's what he says, thy name. He said, Lord, this is not about our name, about your name. May I say this tonight? If we're saved tonight, it's not because of our righteousness. If we get to serve God tonight, it's not because of our righteousness. I think there's many people with a desperate pitch of tone in their voice saying, the Lord's got to save America. What will the world do without America? Hogwash and nonsense. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be rescued. We deserve God's judgment and His wrath. But if the Lord would be merciful enough to show, if I can show mercy on that wicked nation, I can show mercy on anybody. How about you and I as individuals? Have we rebelled? Do we deserve God's judgment? Have we said, Lord, you're righteous, but because of your own mercy. I'm asking you not because I deserve it, but because you're just and righteous and merciful. Would you please forgive me? Whether that is the prayer of salvation or the prayer of restoration of a wayward child who's already been saved, God doesn't change. He's always right. Amen? I hope it's helpful to you tonight. Confessing the name of the Lord. What is that? Confessing our sins. That's confessing who we are. Confessing the name of the Lord. Lord, you're powerful. You're in authority. You're right and just. But because you're merciful, I'm entreating you to deal with me kindly. Every blessing of God is rooted in his mercy because it's not what we deserve. And we should approach God that way. Mm-hmm.